called Risen, and we went to go see the movie together. And I hope that you've had a chance to go see the movie that is still in theaters right now called Risen. It's a great way to support Christian theater and Christian movies here in America. Well, I'm going to be finishing out the series today on Risen, and I invite you to grab your outline and maybe a pen that's located right in the seat in front of you so you can take some notes as we study God's Word this morning. I'm going to invite you to maybe circle some things, underline some things, fill in some blanks. Um, and while you're, while you're getting that together, let me just share with you um, a thought that I had that's got nothing to do with my sermon. Not long ago, my family and I were out at a, a, a restaurant. We were at Red Lobster together. I wanted to treat my family to a great meal. And, um, and so we all went out to Red Lobster together. You know those moments where you kind of want to splurge, just kind of want to celebrate. Nothing special going on. We just wanted to be together as a family. And when the bill came, or at least when I thought the bill was coming, uh, the guy came and brought an empty uh, little valet there. He, he brought it to me and he said, I don't have a bill to give you. Somebody in the restaurant already paid for your check. I don't know if you've ever had that happen for you before, but you should have seen my kids' eyes. You know, <laughs> They were blown away that somebody had paid my check. Immediately, I did what you would have done. I started canvassing the restaurant to find out who in the world's in this restaurant that bought my meal. But here's the deal. We, we're built a certain way, and, and there was something that I learned about myself in that moment. I wanted to pay for my own check. I had planned to pay for my own check. And when I told him, I said, listen, I, I got to do something. He said, here's the problem. You can't do anything. I mean, I, I, I can't create a new bill. The bill has been paid for you. Guys, when we sang that song a few minutes ago, I thought, isn't that the power of the cross, and the power of the resurrection? And I don't know if you've ever had that moment happen for you before where somebody paid your way. But let me tell you, here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When somebody pays your way, you can't do anything about it. You just got to accept it, right? And I, don't, I never figured out who paid my bill that night. But together, we experienced grace. Together, we experienced incredible thanksgiving that somebody paid our debt for us. Yesterday, a friend of mine uh, was laughing, and he, he knows I'm a pastor. He's actually one of uh, my son's kicking coaches. He said, well, I know you're a preacher. I said, yeah. He said, wonder what you're preaching on tomorrow. Uh, I know what you mean, right? He, he, he knew that today was Easter, and he knew that every church around the world today is going to be preaching and celebrating the resurrection, right? And in many ways, it may be a story that maybe a lot of Americans know, but can I tell you, it's a great honor today to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection moment when Christ was raised from the grave three days after being crucified is the greatest moment of the most power displayed on our planet. I want you to think about that for a minute. We think a lot of ourselves with our atom bomb, don't we? We think a lot of our ability to, to split and see fission happen and to see all of a sudden incredible explosions that take place. Let me, let me tell you, the greatest power that was ever exerted on the planet, our planet, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only was it the greatest powerful moment where God raised him from the dead, but can I tell you that I think it's the greatest comeback story ever? I want to talk to you about comebacks. By the way, people like comebacks. Have you ever thought about that before? I'm, now, you're going to think a little less of me in the next few minutes. If I'm your pastor, please forgive me a little bit. I'm, a, I'm going to tell you my favorite movie, okay? My whole family knows it already. My favorite movie and the series of movies is Rocky Balboa, Okay. Uh, oh, thank you, Jose. I heard uh, or Joey, whoever that was. I heard somebody back there. Now, some of you, you already think less of me, you know. 
You, you wanted me to say pride and prejudice or something, but no, it's not. It's Rocky. And why did, I mean, when I was a little boy, I remember going to the theater and watching Rocky fight. Remember that first one? He lost, right? But the comeback story of Rocky Balboa, people love it. I mean, that's why it was able to make one, two, three, seven. You know, all these movies that Rocky Balboa was able to make. We love comeback stories. I think that's why we like some of the stories in the Bible so much. I mean, David goes up against a giant, right? And you don't expect the, 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 you know, the weakling, you don't expect the underdog to come out on top. We love those stories of underdogs, and we love the stories of comeback. Joe Montana, maybe you know that name, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. He had 34 fourth-quarter comebacks, and he was known in the fourth quarter for bringing the team back and winning over and over and over again. People love comebacks. I love underdogs. A few years ago, Sports Illustrated decided to do a story on the greatest comebacks in history. You know, they like top tens. If you know Sports Illustrated likes, they did the top ten greatest comebacks in history. Well, a few people were on that list. They were sports-related, but actually there were some non-sports-related people that they, or, 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 or entities that they chose to list out in the top ten greatest comebacks in history in Sports Illustrated. Number ten, Muhammad Ali and his comeback, right? And you had other folks like that weren't non, they were non-sports people. You had Truman. Truman was a part of it. You had Michael Jordan. He was a part of it. That guy had a pretty good comeback that we all kind of watched, right? And then they had some others on there. They put the Black Plague on there because that had a pretty big comeback too, you know? And then they listed out Japan and Germany because of how they came back from World War II. I thought that was very interesting. In the top 10 comebacks, they listed Japan and Germany. Number one in Sports Illustrated top 10 comebacks of all time, Jesus Christ. And this is what they wrote in Sports Illustrated. I thought I'd write it down for you. Because he confounds his critics and stuns the Romans with his resurrection. That was in Sports Illustrated. I thought, that's pretty cool. Jesus Christ, top number one comeback of all time. Well, I don't know that Jesus would have made a lot out of a Sports Illustrated article. But Jesus already understood that, right? In the Gospel of John, Jesus said this. And this is kind of what I want to just wrap our minds around together today. What does it mean that Jesus said this? When he was describing himself, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. As you read those words, I want you to think for a minute about what he's saying there. When Moses stood in front of the burning bush, he said, who am I to say that tell Pharaoh sent me? And God said, tell him, I am. I am was the way God described himself. In the Gospel of John, John tells over and over again how Jesus, when he was teaching and trying to open up people's understanding of who he was and what he came to do, he would make I am statements. He would say, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. He gave them pictures of who he was. He said, I am the doorway to the sheepfold. And in one moment, the scripture that we're going to study this morning, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's Easter Sunday. The resurrection happened for us a couple of millennia ago. Here's the question I have for you today. What in the world would that resurrection have to say to your life today? And could a resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago impact your world and your life today? In the next few minutes, I'm going to, this Sunday morning, this Easter morning, I'm going to read a little bit of the resurrection account from every one of the four Gospels. We're going to read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
and John. And I don't have this in your notes, but I'm just going to list those out on the left there real quickly. That's the four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By the way, little Bible trivia. Let's, let's, let's get this talking crowd going. Ready? Little Bible trivia. Anybody know the only two miracles listed in all four of those Gospels? Anybody know? You want to take a shot? The feeding of the 5,000 is one of them. That's right. And it's Easter Sunday. You probably already know the other one, don't you? The resurrection. The only two miracles that are in all four Gospels are the feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, real quickly, we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels in the Bible. They were written to different people. And so I think it's important to note that. For example, Matthew. Matthew was written to the Jews. Now, the Jews were very religious people. When Matthew was writing to the Jews, here's what he wanted to do. He wanted to talk to them about Jesus, but specifically, he wanted to show them Jesus had certain credentials, that he was Jewish, that he was very Jewish, and that he came from uh, the line of David. And he wanted to prove that the Messiah was uniquely Jewish, and we should listen to him because of that. That was Matthew's run, okay? And when he explains the resurrection, he'll explain it through that lens. Mark was written to a different audience. Mark was written to the Romans. Now, the Romans, very pragmatic people. They were very, what you see is what you get. They were about action. They were about doing. And so for, for Mark, he knew his audience were these Romans that were just, make it real to us. Show us the real deal. And so he wanted to focus in on Jesus' actions. He talked about how his actions produced fruit. He talked about the realism of who this guy was. He was a very real guy. Now, when Luke came across, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He never met Jesus. He interviewed people about Jesus. He never met Jesus. He, he wanted to, to, to find out the historical account, and he was writing to the Greeks. He was writing to scholars. He was writing to philosophers. He was writing to skeptics. And when he was writing, he wanted to focus his message about the gospel around Jesus' teachings. He wanted to show them what Jesus taught about the kingdom and how that, that kingdom could impact their lives. And then finally, the Gospel of John, the last one that was written out of the four, the Gospel of John, he didn't write to a people group like the Jews, the Romans, or the Greeks. John wrote to everybody. He wrote to everyone. And when he was writing to everyone, he was trying to tell everyone, whosoever, whosoever would ever hear this message about this Jesus, I just want to tell you all. He was writing a very open, very unilateral message about Christ. And what he focused on was the divinity of God. I'm sorry, the divinity of Jesus. He wanted to show that Jesus wasn't just a man, but he was actually the God-man. And so he tried to open up the understandings of that, and he even talked about that in the way he presented the resurrection. So today, we're going to talk about Matthew. We're going to read from Matthew. We're going to read from Mark. We're going to read from Luke. We're going to read from John. And we're going to ask ourselves a question. Can the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago really have an impact on my life today? And how? I want to talk to you about four comebacks Four comebacks that aren't just there for, for other people, they're there for you. Because Jesus made a comeback, others made a comeback that, through his resurrection, you can make that comeback too. You got your pen, write this in real quickly. We're going to read from Matthew first. And, and, and here's where you can make a comeback. I can come back from despair. Fill that in right there. I can come back from despair. What is despair, by the way? Despair is hopelessness. It's incredible discouragement. As a matter of fact, as we think about despair, why don't you just think about for a minute a little bit of the nature and the kind of ethos of our country right now. Our country has a lot of despair going on. There are a lot of people who are discouraged, heavily discouraged. Some people, when they look at our country, they ask themselves, can we ever make a comeback? Can, can, can our culture, can a culture that's gone so far, can a culture who's off in the ditch, it's not even on the road anymore, can our culture really make a comeback? 
Some people look at our economy and they say, can our economy really make a comeback? I mean, look at all the money that is our deficit. How are we ever going to come back from this? And you can see real quickly how hopelessness and despair will start getting into the American psyche. Some folks lose their job and they see the jobless rate, right? And they're, they're not just a number, they don't have a paycheck. And when you don't have a paycheck, it's real easy to start getting hopeless. It's real easy to start letting that despair creep into you. Now, this was, despair is nothing new, all right? Despair is a part of the human journey. But read with me from Matthew's account the despair that was there when Jesus died on the cross and then was sealed in the tomb. Matthew says it this way in Matthew 27. Joseph took the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. Now notice this sentence. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. In your mind for a minute, can you just grasp what that would have looked like? Joseph of Arimathea, he, he seals up the tomb and he walks away. In Matthew's account, he gives us the story of Mary Magdalene and, and probably Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary, Martha's sister, them sitting there across from the tomb looking at this. Have you ever sat in a, in a graveyard before? Just sat there? You know how quiet it is? Maybe you even buried a loved one and everybody else was gone and there you were in that quiet, quiet moment of your own grief. See, that, that's where they are. These two ladies are sitting across from the tomb. They're sitting in a graveyard. They're staring at an empty grave. I'm sorry, they're staring at a grave where they just put Jesus' body there, and they have great despair. They have great hopelessness. This, 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 this guy that they had thought that was, that was the Messiah is now dead and in the grave. Now, these, two, these same two ladies, just a couple of days later, would come back. Watch this. Matthew tells us in Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, that's the same two who were sitting there staring at the grave, right? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Listen to these words, you might want to underline them. They're the message of the resurrection. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You know, those three words, he has risen. Can you imagine how those three words in, began to infuse hope back into those ladies? Those ladies that had such despair and such discouragement that they loved Jesus, and Jesus had done incredible things in their life. Now he was dead. And the angel says, he has risen. Come look where he laid. I mean, there must have been hope that filled them at every level, every level of their, of their bodies. They had hope. And with hope, there are great possibilities. Now, this Sunday morning, here in America and across the world, as people say, hallelujah, he has risen. As a matter of fact, when I was a young boy, they used to say, um, he has risen. And others would say, he has risen indeed. Have you ever heard that before? Let's practice it here real quickly. He has risen. He has risen indeed. You know, those three words, he has risen, are the words that really matter. Nobody this morning is walking around America going, oh, the stock market has risen. I feel so much hope. You know, that's not what they're thinking, okay? Around America, they're not going, the GDP has risen. Now I can breathe, you know? 
The unemployment rate is rising. I'm coming back to life. That's not the way it works, you see. See, Christians around the world today are celebrating those three words. He has risen. And here's what, that, here's what happens when you really understand that. Here's how the, the resurrection two millennia ago can impact your world today. If you showed up to, to this church today, and if you're struggling with hope, it might be that your marriage is, you, you've gotten hopeless because of your marriage. It might mean that you've got, you've got some despair going in your world because of a wayward child. It might mean that you don't have a job and your, your hope level is really low and you're very discouraged. Here's what I want to tell you. The resurrection of Christ, those, those three words, He has risen, the resurrection fuels hope. Did you hear that? The resurrection fuels hope. And when you have hope, anything is possible. And I want to tell you, one of the greatest comebacks Matthew shows us right there through Mary Magdalene and the other Mary is that you can have hope even if you've been in discouragement and in despair. You can make a comeback from that. Hey, you got your pen? Let's talk about another comeback. You can also make a comeback from defeat. Defeat. When you suffer defeat in your life, when you try and you fail, when something was going well and then all of a sudden something goes terribly wrong, defeat is not the end, and the resurrection reminds us of that. Real quickly, a little story. Two little boys uh, live in a house right next door to a church, and they're, they're, they're in a little small town. Uh, these two little boys are rambunctious boys. As a matter of fact, they cause a lot of trouble all the time. And they've got a single mom, just a single mom, looking after the two boys. And the single mom has already just figured out that if anything's going wrong in the town, it's pretty much her two boys. They're up to some mischief. The two boys are causing all the trouble, right? And a new preacher comes to the church, new preacher in town, so she has a little private meeting with the preacher. And she says, hey, is there any chance one day I might just send my boys over to you and you might be able to talk some sense in them, straighten them out? My two boys, are they, they cause trouble all over this town. And the preacher said, well, how old are they? She said, one's eight and one's ten. He said, yeah, listen, tomorrow morning, send the eight-year-old over. And I'll, I'll talk with him for a few minutes, and then about an hour later, send the ten-year-old over, and I'll talk to him. And so sure enough, that morning, she sent the little eight-year-old walking next door to the church, Eight-year-old come, knocks on this big preacher door. Preacher opens it up. He's a big man. That little eight-year-old's a little boy. And the preacher tries to say it in a very stern way. This little boy doesn't have a daddy, so he's going to try to be his daddy, I guess. And he looks at him and said, son, go over there and sit down. The little boy goes over and sits in the chair. And the preacher basically, he, he, wants to, he wants to help him understand that when you're out there messing up, when you're out there doing stuff all over the town, when God sees you. He knows you're there. And so the preacher looked at him and he said, Son, where is God? And the little boy looked at him like... The preacher said it in a louder voice, in a deeper voice. Son, where is God? The little boy's mouth dropped open. He knew he was in trouble now. And then the preacher put his hand on the boy's shoulder and he said, Son, where is God? Little boy screamed, ran out of the office, ran next, ran next door, ran up to his bedroom where the 10-year-old was, ran and just jumped into the closet. And the 10-year-old brother looked at him and said, boy, what's wrong with you? He said, I went over there to meet that preacher, and the preacher, evidently God's missing, they think we did it. <laughs> A cute little story to remind you of what it feels like to be in trouble, okay? Now I want to talk to you about defeat for a minute. Because the truth of the matter is every one of us is messed up, all right? Every one of us is messed up. Every one of us have blown it. And, 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 and um, 
Mark's gospel, Mark, when he's talking about the resurrection, he includes something that the other writers don't. I think it's very important. I want you to take note of it this morning. He wants to talk to us about how the resurrection impacted Peter's life. Now, you remember Peter, right? Peter was the guy, when Jesus told him one time, he was trying to tell him that he had to go to the cross. Peter was the guy, basically said it this way. Hey, listen, you see all those cats, Jesus? When, if this does happen, if this goes down, they're all going to run. But one won't. I'm with you. Jesus looked over at Peter and said, listen, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Peter said, not me. Ain't no way. And you remember the story, right? Three different times Peter denied him. And so here's what happens. When Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes out of the grave, and you know, Peter certainly was already in that despair place, right? But he's got something going on that's a little different than all the rest of the other ones. He has denied Jesus. There is great defeat. There's great loss in his life. And he hears the message of good news. Well, it's good news to others. He has risen. Here's the question. Is it good news to Peter or is it bad news? Because he doesn't know what Jesus' response is going to be to him. I wanted to show you this clip from the movie. This clip that is just a very short clip. But it would have, the movie would have been incomplete without it. When we get to see Jesus and his meeting with Peter and how Jesus wants to bring Peter back from a place of defeat. Let's walk a little farther. Why? To be closer. Simon, do you love me? Yes. You know that I do. Do you love me? Yes. Simon, do you love me? With all my heart. And you must feed my lambs. You know, every one of us, I think it's if we were human at all, every one of us had been at that place before where we feel like we let God down. And sometimes we've let other people down. Every one of us knows what it's like to experience defeat in our world. And I wanted to show you that little clip because, you know, Peter was in a deep place of defeat when he was coming back to that place to meet the resurrected Jesus. And I'm sure in Peter's mind, he probably wondered, what's, it, what's going to be his response to me? I mean, is he angry at me? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to condemn me? I wonder if he knew Jesus well enough to know that the, the Jesus he would find would forgive him. Real quickly from Mark's gospel, listen to this resurrection account, okay? Mark said it this way in Mark 16. Watch these two words because they are so important. But go tell his disciples, underline, and Peter. But go tell his disciples and Peter, the angel said. He is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. You know, when the angel spoke those words and those disciples ran back and they gave the story to the rest of the disciples, they told them, the angel said to go tell the disciples, and you, by the way, too, Peter, the angel said to tell you that he's going to meet us in Galilee. Have you ever noticed those two little words? Have you ever wondered why Mark put those two little words there and Peter? Because the angel was communicating to Peter, listen, listen, he knows you. He's not giving up on you. Just because you failed him doesn't mean he's going to let go of you. Listen, he was giving us a great message. He was giving us a story that even after defeat, he still loved Peter. And even after defeat, Peter still mattered to him. And can I tell you what he did for Peter? He'll do for you. When you've let him down, when you've failed him, 
He will treat you the same way. He won't condemn you. He won't reject you. He, he won't push you away. He will forgive you. And that is good news for you and me. Because when we experience defeat, by the way, and that's going to happen again in your lives, you're going to fail him again. When that happens, listen, he is a God of forgiveness. I think a lot of people grow up in sometimes churches or even in families where they kind of have these images of God that are just skewed images of God. Some people envision God like he's a clockmaker and he, he put the world in motion and he set the timer and he just left us and we're all to our own. Some people view God like he's a policeman, you know, like he's the one looking for you to make a mistake and he's going to crack down on you when you make the mistake. What I want to tell you is the gospel in Mark reminds us that our God is a forgiving God. And when Peter finally did come to that place of seeing Jesus face to face, the message that he received was a message of love and forgiveness. If you've experienced defeat, if you've let him down, you can come back from that too. You can come back from despair you can come back from defeat. Would you write this one down? You can even come back from a place of doubt. You know, there's a lot of people who doubt, by the way. Did you know that some people are just wired to be skeptics? Some people are wired to doubt. They, they want the proof. Show me the proof. I want to analyze it for myself, and then I'll decide what the math equation comes out. And I think God made us that way. Some people are wired that way. And by the way, when Luke was writing, he was writing to those kind of people. He was writing to skeptics and scholars. He was writing to people who were kind of like, show me the proof, show me it, and then I'll determine what it all means for myself. Listen to what Luke wrote in Luke 24, 5 and 6. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. You see, when they saw the angels and they heard the message, I'm, sur I'm sure that they began to hope, but I'm sure even in the midst of the hope, there, there was this place of doubt. Have you ever been to that place before where you, you had belief, but at the same time you had doubt, and you were like, ah, how do these two exist together? You wanted to believe 100%, but you had your doubts too. And you couldn't just ignore them, you had doubts. By the way, I think that's, that should be every person. Every person is, is a person, watch this, of faith and of doubt. Track with me here. If you have 98% doubt and 2% faith, you have some faith. God can do something with that, all right? And if you have 98% faith, I know I'm going to extremes here, and 2% doubt, even in your doubt, you have faith. See, what I want to tell you to be human is to be a person that experiences doubt. And those ladies that came to the tomb that day, when they heard the message, he's risen, don't you know that there must have been a lot of mixed feelings in their world? Watch this. Uh, Luke actually wrote a companion to his gospel, and it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Look, look at his words here. In the Acts of the Apostles, he wrote this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave Many convincing proofs. If you have your pen, underline those three words. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. If you have your pen, I just want to, I normally don't focus in on Greek words. I just want to give you a Greek word. I forgot to throw it up on the screen. Maybe, Tom, you can write it real quickly. The word, uh, the word there for many convincing proofs is texmeriosis. T-E-K-M-E-R-I-O-I-S. Tech meriosis. 
It literally means legally admissible evidence. Luke says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He gave them evidence that he was alive. Look at this from, from Luke in verse 20, uh, chapter 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled, and they were frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. See the doubt that's there? Do you see the doubt? Thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Do you see the doubt? Even those who were closest to Jesus had doubt. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Now watch this. I love this part. When he had said all this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, there's that doubt, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? (laughs) He wants to prove to them he's alive, okay? Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. By the way, if you have your pen, you might want to underline those few words there. Everything that was written about me must be fulfilled. Let me talk about that person that struggles with the doubts. Let me talk about that, talk to for a minute, that that person that's a skeptic and just wants a scholarly look at this whole thing. Tell me the evidence of the resurrection. It might be helpful for you one day just to pick up your Bible and turn to a couple of places. Maybe you'd turn to Psalm chapter 22 and you'd read Psalm chapter 22. Just read it from the start to the finish and listen because you'll see that the very words that Jesus spoke on the cross were foretold in Psalm chapter 22. Or maybe you'd want to roll over to, uh, for example, Isaiah, the the, the book of Isaiah in the Bible. And, And just look at Isaiah chapter 53 and watch how it describes a crucifixion when there was nothing invented at that time called crucifixion. Watch how it talks about how he would be beaten and he would be pierced, his hands and his feet, and the crucifixion not even been written yet. Some folks who are skeptics say, look at those two. They look at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and they say, you know what? Here's the deal. The only way that could be, that could truly be in the Old Testament is that somebody after the cross and after the tomb and after all that stuff, somebody after the New Testament... They they wrote it up in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. They wrote it up and then they went back and inserted it into the Old Testament text. That's the only way it could be there. Let me tell you a real quick story. In in 1947, a little shepherd boy in a little village just north of the Dead Sea was playing around in a cave and he threw some rocks into the cave and he heard something break. They went in that cave and they found these, these pots. In the very back of the cave, they found pots and inside the pots were scriptures that, were, that dated back centuries upon centuries upon centuries. They found some old scriptures that even predated the New Testament inside those little canisters in that little village of Qumran, which was a, which was a scribe village where they wrote every day the Gospels. Here's the question. If they found texts from the Old Testament and in those, in those little canisters, they found both Psalm and Isaiah chapter 53. And those, if those texts that dated back way before even the New Testament was written, if it was there, it proves that those 
were in the Old Testament from the very beginning. And when they did all their studies, when they, all the scientists did their, did their evidentiary proof, they found out that Psalm chapter 22 and Psalm, that Isaiah 53, those two pieces, those manuscripts to that today we call the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they were in there, they were older than the New Testament, and they backed up. Here's what you'll find. You'll find over and over again, they're still discovering new things all over the land of Israel, but every time they discover something new, the archaeology, the science backs up the Bible. Every time. Here's the deal. God knows we have doubts. And as Jesus stood in the room there with them that day, showing them his hands and his feet, the Bible still said they touched him and they still struggled to believe. He's okay with our doubts. He just wants to talk with us about our faith. And he wants to meet us in that place. So if you're a person with doubts, and if you're one of the skeptics, it's okay. I think God might have wired you that way. Put him to the test. See, Jesus, Jesus is okay. I think that, that's the whole reason uh, that Acts says it that way. Many convincing proofs. Jesus was, was basically saying, listen, if you doubt, it's okay. I want to give you proof. He wants to prove to you that he exists. Got your pen? You can come back from despair. You can come back from defeat. You can come back from doubt. But here's the beauty of it all. Easter Sunday morning, write this one down. And this is where, this is the most important one. You can make a comeback from death. You can come back from death. Jesus said it this way, basically. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus was basically saying was, if you are connected to me, here's the deal. I cannot be beaten by death. I, I was resurrected, and you will know the resurrection in you as well. Can I just make sure you understand what I'm talking about here for a minute? I'm not talking about just some kind of spiritual, new agey type of resurrection. I'm not talking about that. The Bible in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, there will not only be a spiritual resurrection of us, but you will be given a bodily resurrection. You will be given a new body if you are found in Christ. That is beautiful. See, Jesus showed up with a new body. Now, it was a physical body, so he could prove himself. But the Bible says that if you are connected to Jesus and you believe that one day you will be resurrected and you will make a comeback from death as well. Everyone, remember? Who's John writing to? Everyone. He doesn't say just for the Romans or just for the Greeks or just for the Jews. He says, he's writing to everyone. He says, whosoever believes, if you believe, you can make a comeback from death too. This is huge. Coming back from death? Okay, real quick joke. You hear about the three guys that... Uh, that were sitting in a funeral home and they were talking about the guy that was dead laying there in the casket. And each one of them started to say to each other, they started saying, you know, I, what, do you, what, what do you want them to say about you when, when, when you die? One guy said, I know what I want them to say about me. I want them to say about me that I was a great man. I was a man's man. And the guy sitting next to him and said, you know what I'd like them to say about me? I'd like them to just say about me that I was a, a, a good husband and a great dad. And the guy sitting next to them said, man, I don't really care they say any one of those two things. I know what I want them to say about me. And they said, what? He said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> I mean, think about it, guys. Come back from death. Come back from death. That doesn't happen, right? You don't come back from death. But evidently, Jesus says, here's the deal. If you're connected to me, you too 
will be resurrected. You too will come back from death. So how does this life after death work? Read with me. John 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these here are written that you may believe, there it is, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I love how John's gospel just lays it out there. You can have life if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this is how it works. I mean, anyone who believes will have life after death. Hey, real quickly, let's just do a real quick look around the room here for a minute. Why don't you look over at your neighbor? I'm about to tell you your common denominator. Just look at the person sitting next to you. All right? Dominic, turn around and look there at mom. Okay, see mom? All right. Can I just tell you one thing we have in common with each other? It's going to kind of sound sobering, okay? Kind of a little morbid, a little morbid, okay? That person you just looked at, we have one common denominator, and that is that in 120 years, we'll all be dead. I want you to think about it. It's Easter Sunday morning. I want you to think about it. In 120 years, everybody in this room, every one of us, will be dead. Now, here's the deal. Why sometimes do we live our whole lives not preparing for it? Matter of fact, can I say it a different way? Probably the greatest fool on the planet is the person who knows they're going to die and doesn't ever prepare for it. My dad was a very, very smart man. Very smart man. He had a seventh grade education. And I'm telling you, he was a very smart man. My dad, the most he got of Jesus didn't come from a Bible. I don't know that my dad ever picked one up and read it. Matter of fact, every once in a while, he would try to quote something out of the Bible and it wouldn't even be in there, you know. <laughs> He's that kind of guy. The most my dad got, out of, got, got from Jesus, he got around sitting around the dinner table when we all came home from church. We talked about what the preacher had to say. My dad never said a word. Never ask a question. Just sat there and listened. Because to him, this whole God thing was kind of hard. I don't understand it, but it's kind of hard for him. So he kind of always held God out to here. I called my dad a God-fearer. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He just, he believed God. He believed God existed somewhere, but he didn't have that personal relationship. In 1990, I was a sophomore in college. We found out my dad had cancer. Second fastest spreading cancer known to man. We didn't know it at the time, but three months later, my dad would be gone. A preacher walked into my daddy's hospital room as he was fighting those last few days of cancer, and he said, my dad's name was Pat. He said, Pat, are you really ready to make things right with God? Do you know where you're going to be when you pass from this world? I wasn't there. But I understand my dad said, no, I don't, and I need to make things right with God. And it was in that moment that my daddy received Jesus Christ. On his deathbed, hallelujah, on his deathbed, my dad made a comeback. My dad made a comeback from death. How cool is that, right? Listen, I think foolish is the person who lives their whole life knowing that 120 years from now, you're not going to be here and you don't plan for it. Sandy, I hope it's okay. I was going to tell your story this morning. I should have asked you beforehand. Sandy and I were on the phone this week and her daddy is fighting for the last moments of his life. That's what he's doing. And we know that. 
And I just wanted a few minutes to encourage Sandy and pray for Sandy. And she said, she told me this beautiful story. She said, my dad, who never talks about things of faith within the family, brought it up. And he said to Sandy, Sandy, I don't know when I die whether I'm going to heaven or hell. I don't know any of that. And Sandy looked at her daddy and said, well, let's take care of that right now. (laughs) Hallelujah. And she led her dad to Christ there. Hallelujah. 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 Sandy, I was so proud when you told me that. So proud that you were able to talk with your dad about Christ and he was able to receive Christ and make sure his eternity was taken care of. You know, John was saying, everyone who believes. There's, there's the beautiful, wide-open gate. Everyone who believes. Now, I just wonder about your world real quickly. What comeback do you need to make? Have you been filled with despair? Have you struggled with defeat and letting others down and failure? Have you wrestled and wrestled? And I imagine some of us would say, I, I think I'll wrestle till my last dying day with my doubts. You know, the triumph of it all is that you can come back from death. I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray a simple prayer that the power of the resurrection of Jesus, that same power that resurrected Him from the grave, Paul says, it can be known inside of us. And you can have the resurrection power of God inside of you. Because listen, here's the good news of the gospel. Resurrection changes everything. It's a game changer. You can experience that resurrection in your life this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Listen, if I've been talking to you this morning, just kind of create a little space for yourself right now. If you've been, if you've been filled with some despair, why don't you just tell God that right now? If you've been struggling with defeat and failure in your own life, might have been failure in a marriage or failure in a job, might have been failure with a child, why don't you just talk to God about that right now? That's so, that is so human. That's all of us. If you've struggled with doubt, and even if you just say, hey, that's almost me. I, I'm the person with only 2% faith and 98% doubt. Why don't you just tell God that for a minute? God, if you're there, if you're there, I just want to just say, this is me. I struggle with doubt. Listen, today you can let the power of the resurrection infuse you. Because where there is hope, Anything is possible. Father, I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, and I thank you that it's true. And I thank you not only that it's true, I thank you that it works. I thank you that it it happened, and it's still saving people today. And I thank you that right here in this large crowd we've got on Easter Sunday morning and even across the podcast, that anybody that says, I believe that you are the Messiah, Jesus, they will be saved. The Bible tells me so. And they will be given eternal life. They will come back from death because they are connected to you. So Lord, today, I pray. And if you want to pray this prayer with me, I invite you to pray it with me. I pray. I want to be connected in with you, Jesus. I want you to come inside of me and live in me and speak through me and and do your work in my life. I want you to clean up my old clutter and my old house. I I want you to help me live life your way. Because I believe You made me for a purpose, and I believe the best way for me to live is with you living inside of me, you living your life through me. Lord, wash away all my sin this morning, and it's a lot. Wash away all my sin this morning. I give it to you. It's filthy, it's nasty, but I understand. By faith, I've heard 
Your blood washes away and cleanses all unrighteousness and cleanses my sin away. And today I receive life. I receive life evermore. I receive the good news that I can come back from despair, that I can come back from defeat even when I fail tomorrow, that I can, when I doubt, I can come back from that. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God, the Messiah, when I breathe my last breath on this planet, I will come back to life. I pray that today over my, my, my life. Lord, may it be so in me. May your life and your resurrection be power be known in me. Thank you, Jesus, for Easter. Thank you for the tomb that is empty. I receive it for me today. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you. May your resurrection power be known in our church and in our families and in this world. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Let the church say amen. 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 I love you, Harvest Point. Thanks for being with us this Easter. Hey, don't forget about that cross outside, okay? Put a flower on it and take your family picture and join us for our next series. It's going to be awesome about learning more about God's names. God bless you. Happy Easter.